Welcome to episode 13 of the UMass Women's Basketball Show on the official radio network of Minute Women Hoops, WMUA Sports. We got a big crew in-house today as we preview the Atlantic 10 Conference for Women's Basketball. UMass will start conference play this Saturday against St. Bonaventure, and we have a bunch of people ready to break down the whole conference as UMass tries to repeat as Atlantic 10 champions. I am Jacob Munch, joined by Chris Vogel, Josh Schreiber, Sam Kinches, and Beckett Story. And guys, let's start. We'll jump right in with St. Bonaventure. UMass will host them on Saturday, New Year's Eve at 2 p.m. at the Mullen Center. St. Bonaventure is a team that hasn't played very well the last couple of seasons. The Bonnies struggled in non-conference play. It's been an issue for head coach Jesse Fleming throughout his tenure in Western New York, where St. Bonaventure has struggled to get winning seasons. And Josh, it could be a bit of a nice opportunity for UMass to start against a not-so-great Bonnie's team. Yeah, absolutely. It's going to be probably a little bit similar to the types of games that they've played in their last two against St. Peter's and Dartmouth. I do think that the Bonnies are a little bit more of better competition um, more similar to Dartmouth, but it's for the Bonnies. It all runs through Yaya Lopes. If they, if UMass can stop her, Lopes has kind of a history of, you know, she can absolutely dominate and go out, drop 20, 25 points in a game, 11, 12 rebounds, but she can also go four of 16 from the field, which she has done this season. She can, turn the ball over in the post. And one strength that UMass really has is their front court. We heard Tori Verdi talk about it in the last press conference after the Dartmouth game when he talked about McKenna White, Angelique Galakulondi, and then, of course, Layla Fair, and then, obviously, Sam Breen. But those four players are absolutely key in that game. Can they prevent Lopes from being able to dominate that game and keep the Bonnies in the game because that's really the only chance that they have. Yeah, I think you're exactly right. Where UMass has more physicality and that could really favor them. Sam. Yeah, and the Bonnies are a team that are just sluggishly going into A-10 play. Not a lot to hang their hat on. Bare, a few wins where they just barely scraped away against Binghamton, a very low-level CAA team. But again, Echoing what Josh said about physicality, the leading score the last time UMass and St. Bonaventure played in the regular season was in Gallon Kalandi. She had 20 points to lead all scores, and that's a testament to the game plan. That it's got to be the physicality, and it's got to be the front court that takes control. McKenna White also, and she had 19 minutes that game. She had seven rebounds and six points. But So imagine with McKenna White getting more minutes and more touches, especially down low, this could be a game where UMass just absolutely dominates the paint. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. We talked to Coach Verdi earlier today, and he said that, well, one of the reasons he thinks Gala Colondi hasn't been as effective this year is foul trouble, but also she just hasn't finished around the rim as much. She's had opportunities to. I feel like eventually she's going to break out, and tomorrow could certainly be another opportunity for her and the post, th- post players to thrive. Beckett. Yeah, I mean, I just think, you know, the Bonnies, one and six on the road, starting off this starting off this A ten play. I just I think this could easily be a wire to wire or 
I feel like I've been misusing that, so I'm not going to say that again. But I feel like it could be a, a win where the minute women get on the court and they're leading the entire game, full get uh, gas, all gas, no breaks sort of deal. And I just, I really think that that could, you know, end up just starting off this A10 really well for the minute women and maybe not so well for the Bonnies. Yeah, as Sam touched on, Bonnies really haven't played anyone in the non-conference schedule, despite that they've struggled. They went down to the Hampton Inn, Cleveland downtown Viking Invitational, went 0 and 3 against three low level teams. That's a name uh, right there for an invitation. Oh, that is a long name. <laughs> yeah, no, that that should have been me looking at that ahead of time, making sure I had a shortened version. Did not have a shortened version of that. Uh, yeah, three teams that aren't good, aren't that great. Georgia State's decent, and but Bonnie's went 0 and 3 there, and kind of summed up play. Not any high level competition, still three wins in close games. There is one player that we haven't mentioned that I think can make this game interesting. Uh, their junior guard slash forward, Maddie Tzigowski. Uh She's a pretty good three-point shooter. The team's second leading scorer and shooting about 38% from three. Also gets almost four boards a game and is active defensively with 10 skills on the season. Was banged up earlier in the year, but has played as of late. Her, if she can hit a couple threes, that might be the only way St. Bonaventure stays in this game past the first quarter. And I think the St. Bonaventure team is similar to last year. Last year, they had Asian A. Johnson, who was like a very good player. And then there was a steep drop off this year. It's kind of the same thing with Yaya Lopes and then Lopes and then a steep drop off. It'll be interesting to see whether Maddie plays because she hasn't played so far today against Buffalo. That last non-conference game is currently going on there in the third quarter of a tight game and she hasn't played yet. So it sounds like she's probably day to day. We'll see whether she plays. She played last week against Colgate, so I don't know. We'll see whether she plays on Saturday. Josh? Yeah, I think that's a great point, Chris, about the shooting. It, it seems like whenever a team doesn't have as much talent as UMass, their only shot at staying in the game or winning the game is by outshooting them. UMass has definitely struggled to contain three-point shooters. We've seen it quite a few times this season and we even saw it against Dartmouth. Dartmouth was able to shoot the three ball just enough to keep it to basically be a game and just be a thorn in UMass's side for the entirety of that game. If they don't have those shooters, that's a 40 plus point game. UMass wins that one easily despite not playing their best basketball. We saw it against St. Peter's. St. Peter's could not shoot the three 43 point win for UMass. If same Bonaventure's not able to shoot the three, they're going to lose by 20, 30, 40 points. It's that simple. I know Lopes is a great player. She's definitely the best front court player out of these three teams. But I, I just don't think when it's all said and done that she can carry this team. Or even, I don't necessarily think she can even have a great game unless she's able to shoot the three ball. And UMass has done a good job at shutting down stars, it feels like, for the most part. They did it for St. Peter's and Jada Williams. Well, except for Abby Shue in that debacle when they didn't play her well at all. But, yeah, I think if UMass controls Lopes, they'll be fine. The Bonnies also have a zone defense a lot of the time, which has given UMass issues in the past. However, what's often open with the Bonnies' zone defense are elbow jumpers. Who loves elbow jumpers? McKenna White. Watch out for another really big game for her. Sam Breen. And Sam Breen, exactly. Those two. If Layla Fair gets playing time, I feel like she could get 
eight points tomorrow because her mid-range game is also very solid. Mr. Kinches. Yeah, but when I'm looking at St. Bonaventure, what strikes me the most is the are these abysmal shooting marks. And there's three wins this season. They're free throws specifically, their percentage have been 74%. Against Binghamton, 36%. And against Niagara, their win, 37%. Those are all their respective percentages from free throws. And this could be a game where UMass may allow just them to get into the paint and maybe even allow them to get aggressive and take some fouls because this is some abysmal free throw shooting and we're UMass women's basketball fan. I mean, if you cannot make those free throws and they somehow found a way to win those games, that is something to strategy around and really just contain even the three-point line, which is also necessarily not even a point of concern. But that being said, these shooting stats are abysmal on every level. And this could be a game where UMass needs to make sure that they don't come unsloppy. They need to make sure they play clean, precise basketball and they don't turn the ball over. And I feel like having off these two wins, they sort of are starting to click a little bit more and trust each other a lot more. And the term that Coach Verdi always uses and did yesterday is connectiveness. How connected were they yesterday? Not very. But if they're connected tomorrow or on Saturday and when they are connected, they are very, very hard to beat. So let's get score predictions for Saturday's conference opener against St. Bonaventure, and then we'll move on to the rest of the conference. How about Chris Vogel? Yeah, St. Bonaventure plays at a pretty slow pace compared to some teams UMass played. So I think it's going to be 72 to 46 UMass. Josh. I'm going 8350. Ooh. Sam. I I same logic as Chris. Last year these two teams played the score 78 to 59. I'm thinking something in that ballpark, but Adjusted a bit. I think UMass gets 80. Bonaventure gets, like, say, 56. I will say it'll be 72-56 in favor of the Minute Women. St. Bonaventure will keep it somewhat close. UMass won't play their best. Um, Beckett, last but not least. I got 77-52. They play bell. They play pretty well, but fourth quarter gets away. There you go. So we have all got UMass winning their conference opener. This could be a theme throughout Atlantic 10 play because the Minute Women were the unanimous favorites to win the A-10 in the preseason poll. Last year, they finished third in the A-10 behind Dayton and Rhode Island. So looking at this year's Atlantic 10, who do we think is a team that might challenge UMass or might be really difficult? Josh, we'll start with your point. Yeah, honestly, to me, I know that there's been a lot of hype around a team like Richmond, a team like uh, St. Joseph's, a team like Fordham. But to me, the A-10 really goes through, of course, outside of UMass, goes through Rhode Island. Rhode Island gave UMass fits last season. UMass only scored 104 points in two combined games against them. And Rhode Island, I don't think they got any worse, to be honest. So, Playing Rhode Island two times is going to be a struggle. If they can win one of those games, that's huge. They really need to win one of those games. But if you can take them both, you kind of solidify yourself as we are officially the top dog. We hear Coach Verdi talk about it all the time. They are trying to separate themselves from the pack. They're a great team. We all know that. And when they're clicking, 
I don't think anyone in the Atlantic 10 has a chance of beating them. But the whole the problem with that is you've got to be clicking. You've got to make sure that you step on the throat of your opponents that are that you're supposed to be and just absolutely run them over, get the bench players in, let them get some minutes, which they haven't quite been able to do. So hopefully they can take care of business against the Bonnies and then play against Rhode Island and get a big win. I love that you started by bringing up Rhode Island because one, UMass will play Rhodey. That's their second conference game. That'll be on Wednesday, January 4th, 7 p.m. at the Mullen Center to cap this five-game homestand. So we're going to see them in less than a week. But I've said this a lot since last year. Heading into the A-10 tournament, there was one team I was scared about and didn't want to play, and that was Rhode Island. Because UMass last season could never figure out Rhode Island's zone. Both of the games that UMass played weren't that close. Rhode Island kind of dominated them, at least defensively. And so I felt I was worried that UMass would have to play Rhodey in the semis and then things would fall apart. Didn't happen that way because St. Joe's pulled a nice upset last year. But Rhodey revamped their squad. They lost a ton of players. Emmanuel Tahan, who was a co-A-10 player of the year a couple of years ago. She's no longer with the team. She's playing professionally, I think, in France. Marie Paul Fapasi also left. She graduated. They had a couple more, which I am annoyed I'm forgetting right now at the moment, but they only returned one starter in Dolly Karen. She's been battling, or she's been in concussion protocol recently, so I don't know if she'll play on Wednesday. But Rhode Island, they always just revamped through transfers. Oh, right. Uh, Rhode Island had Des Elmore and Chanel Williams last year, the other two starters who graduated. Rhodey got Madison Haddix Covington from VCU, Emma Squires from Richmond and Tenon Magasa from Dayton. So three inter-Atlantic 10 transfers who are starting level players. Magasa has been hurt a decent amount, but Rhode Island, I think they're good and they have meshed quicker than I thought they would. And Tammy Reese, the head coach there, she is just fantastic. Sam. Yeah, Josh touched upon one of the teams I want to focus on, a team that gave UMass a, every game that UMass played against this team. It was a battle from start to finish. The Fordham Rams are a team that I feel that are very sneaky and are being overlooked. And in terms of star power, they match up very well at UMass. I turn to the A-10 statistic right now. Fordham is the is Fordham and UMass are teams in the A-10 that have two players in the top six in scoring. Fordham is Asia Dingle with, with who is the top scorer in the A-10, and Anna DeWolf, who is now the fifth best scorer in the A-10. These Anna DeWolf is being talked about as the only real competitor with Sam Breen for A-10 Player of the Year. These are two star players that can score the basketball with the best of them. This Fordham offense matches up very well with UMass in every statistical category, and they're shooting. We talk about how shooting can kill the middle woman and has killed the middle woman. Fordham shoots the most threes out of any team in the A-10, and they are currently the third-best shoot, three-point shooting team in the A-10. Therefore, Fordham is a team that can give UMass fits due to that deficiency, and I think they have the star power and the personnel to make that happen. Yeah, I think you're right. Fordham, they lost Kendall Haramaya, but besides that, they didn't lose much. Last year, they were the sixth seed when they played UMass in that super close quarterfinals game where Sam Breen hit the great fadeaway mid-range jumper. Yeah, exactly. It was a crazy shot by Breen. Fordham played UMass super close both times. And Anna DeWolf is one of the best players. And I think she's been forgotten about 
throughout maybe the last year now, year and a half. Caitlin Downey's also really good for the Rams. And the Fordham has used the same starting five all season long. They have a new head coach, which could be part of the reason maybe that they get off to a slow start in conference play. Former head coach Stephanie Gately no longer with the team. So there's a bit of a change there. But Fordham is always pretty good. They just haven't been able to get to the great level the past couple of years that I think some people predicted. Now, Beckett, I know St. Joe's has been very good, at least in non-conference play. Are they another team that you think could challenge UMass for the title, or is there someone else you have in mind? Well, actually, it's quite funny you, you brought up St. Joe's because that's exactly what I was looking at. Um, I think, you know, they're 10-2, and two, obviously, uh, playing really good basketball. They have lost to Villanova, which is number 25, which they're number 25 in the country right now. They lost by 23 that game. That was pretty much a blowout, but that's one of two losses all season. The other one would be to James Madison University, which was their last game, actually. Um, yeah, I mean, they've played well, and they played against Yale, which is a team that we saw uh, not too long ago. Um, they actually only beat them by five points. So that's interesting. You know, you see how they matched up against a team that UMass already has seen this year. Um, but yeah, no, they've played some, they've played some, you know, well-known schools. They played Vanderbilt. They played uh temple. I mean, Vanderbilt, I'm pretty sure is a power five school sec. Right. So yep. yeah, I mean, and they played them well, they beat them by eight points. So St. Joe's always seems to be around, always seem to play pretty solid and they're certainly doing it this year so far and they are young but good last year they had a bunch of super good first year players including Layla Fair who then went to UMass but all those other players are still there and they are still getting much better Talia Brugler is proving to be one of the best players in the conference Mackenzie Smith has some really good games for St. Joe's as well Julian Nystrom, very helpful. She's been mostly off the bench this year, but she's another one of those sophomores who is very good on the court. They've still got the veteran leadership of Katie Jacot, which I think is super helpful, but this team is still young. And this year they have Laura Ziegler, their first year from Denmark, who has won Rookie of the Week like four times already this year. St. Joe's just keeps bringing in young talent who are really, really good, but that. James Madison loss worries me a little bit because that's a team that I thought for sure they should and would beat handedly and they didn't. Maybe that's a sign that there's some cracks in the armor and maybe their 10 and two non-conference record isn't quite that strong as it might first appear. But I think St. Joe's, if they can mesh and just grow on the fly, learn how to win on the fly, that might really help. Sam, do you have, Something to add for the Hawks? Yeah, Jacob, you mentioned that they're a very young team. You talk a bit also about the, the James Madison loss. A young team and a loss like that, and that was very close down the stretch. And especially with a young team executing down the stretch, the emotions are heightened. And with a young team, it, it doesn't necessarily have necessarily as much maturity. Granted, they have some semblance of veteran leadership, but a young team could get caught in the moment, and that's when – a more experienced team like James Madison clearly was going to gain some momentum and slowly creep their way back and eventually win the game. So it seemed like St. Joseph's them being so young, especially when it gets towards end of conference game, tight games, and even the tournament, this could be a point of concern 
And that's when the veteran leadership needs to really calm things down and keep their composure. That's the one thing that does worry me about it. But that's been the nice thing for St. Joe's is that it's the same team basically they had last year. They added uh, Ziegler, but besides that, Katie Jaycott's still their leader, still the grad student who's somehow still playing, kind of like Brain and Floxy for UMass. And so she knows what she needs to do to get the most out of her players. Head coach Cindy Griffin has been coaching for more than two decades on Hawk Hill. She also knows what she's doing. So I, while they don't have much veteran leadership, I trust Jaycott and Griffin in particular to lead this team. But I also think players like Brugler and Olivia Mullins are starting to find that leadership role. And I think that could really help. A reminder that this episode 13 of the UMass Women's Basketball Show is brought to you by our friends at The Quarters, located just off Route 9 on the bike trail in Hadley. The Quarters offers 25 vintage games from the 80s and 90s, as well as a full food menu, draft beers, and cocktails. Weekly events at The Quarters include Monday Trivia, Thursday Karaoke, and Weekend Morning Unlimited Cereal Buffet, and cartoons. The Quarters also offers private events. The Quarters is online at HadleyQuarters.com and on Instagram and Facebook. We'll now move to Mr. Chris Vogel. What's the team that you've got your eye on this conference play? Okay, so you guys are going to look at me like I've got two heads after this one. I'm not completely out on Dayton. They've had oh, a disaster, no. of a non- <laughs> disaster of a non-conference season. Have yet to win this season. They were gutted going into the year. But if you look at deeper into it, somehow they've lost every game, it seems like, by four points, by nine points, in double overtime. They're not getting blown out of their play- outside of a uh, multi-team event down in Mississippi. Take that out of there, and they're playing everybody close, including power six schools. It's almost shocking they haven't managed to win one of these. Which, when you're looking at a team like Dayton, who won the – were the number one seed going into the tournament last year, won the regular season title. They still have some players left over from that. You got to think they can rebound, rebound at least a little bit and be kind of that surprise team. Picked to finish, I think, ninth in the conference. I wouldn't be shocked if they beat that. They're competing for top four, five, six spot. Maybe surprising people. You got a pair of players that I think are difference makers. Uh, Mariah Perez is averaging almost a double-double in non-conference play. Uh, she's a senior, six foot three, one of the older players in the conference. Definitely something that can make a difference. And then they've got a breakout star who I think my project, I think she's my sleeper pick to make the first team all A10. Destiny Bohannon, the redshirt mm-hmm. junior, is probably the best three point shooter anywhere in the conference. She's shooting a whopping, she's shooting over 40% from three at 46.9%. And that's not on three attempts. She's 15 for 32, the second most on the team. She played she played less than 10 minutes last year. Now she's playing 35.6 per game. If she can keep scoring like she did, she has done so far in the big non-conference games, including 22 her last time out. She might single-handedly win the Flyers a couple games and just enough to keep them in it till the end of the regular season and be dangerous in a single elimination tournament josh yeah the only my only concern with that chris is dayton you're right they do have some good rebounders but i think some of those rebounding statistics can get a little bit blown out of proportion just because they miss so many shots so when you're missing all these shots you're going to get more rebounds of course um but of course you you do still have to secure those rebounds um 
And one of the stats that is just eye-popping to me, their turnover margin is minus seven. The next worst team in the A-10 is minus three. So they're far and away, they turn the ball over more than anyone. But maybe as the season goes on, we are a little bit further into the season to the point where it's a little bit concerning or a lot very concerning. But there is still time to, you know, gain some more of that chemistry and figure out a way to limit those turnovers as because a lot of these a 10 teams, especially UMass, especially a team like even St. Louis, they're going to force a lot of turnovers. Yeah, I definitely agree with that where the turnovers can be a concern, but comparing it just in non-conference play is sometimes a little misleading. I'd say Dayton probably has the toughest non-conference schedule. Maybe UMass pretty similar to UMass, but Dayton's played four SEC teams. And those are where a lot of their struggles come from. They had two games that got ugly early, including including losing by 26 to Kentucky, where they were they turned the ball over a bunch that game. If you look at the similar competition level to what they faced in the A-10, they fared much better turning the ball over than against those SEC schools. I think throughout all of this, I don't think we've mentioned Dayton's non-conference record. Which is Owen. I, I let off. <laughs> yeah. I did lead off with they're yet to win again. Yeah. Owen well, then 10. exactly. Yeah. There you go. Which obviously is not good. And no, that, no. Not you good mentioned you mentioned rightly so that this team was gutted at the beginning of the year. They lost so many players from last season, especially the one that hurt the most, in my opinion, was Makaira Cook leaving because she was a young, sensational guard for Dayton who had a lot of years of eligibility left, but she transferred in part due to former Dayton head coach Shauna Green leaving and going to Illinois. And so even the coaching staff is new for the Flyers. Tamika Williams-Jeter is now the head coach. She's still looking for her first win with Dayton. And this team only has four players on the current roster who were on Dayton's team last year, and very few of them got minutes. So I think, I don't know. It'll be interesting to see once Dayton gets that first win, can they start rolling some off? I think so. I think they can avoid the pillow fight next year. And I think that will, or I mean, I think they can avoid the pillow fight this season. And I think they could surprise people, maybe finish right around eighth place or so. We'll see exactly how things work out for the Flyers. We got to stop the senior question for you on Dayton. Oh, Stump the Senior, okay. Yes. Over the last three seasons, Dayton has won the conference each of the last three years. Guess how many losses? Can you you tell me how many losses they had total in that span? In conference play? In conference play. Regular season conference play. Regular season conference play for the Dayton Flyers in this edition of Stump the Senior. Well, last year, I don't recall Dayton going undefeated, but... I think they did actually. So that'll be zero losses. The year before, I'm gonna it was COVID. I'm gonna say they had two. The year prior, I have no idea. So I will say five you regular season. Brutal. <laughs> five regular season conference losses. I thought you might get it after year two. No, they've they've only lost one game each of the last three years. Three total. Oh. Forty-one and three in that stretch in conference. They lost by two to VCU last year at home for their only conference loss. Oh, I completely forgot about that game. Interesting. Hmm. 
Okay, three, one loss each year. That's kind of annoying for them, and the fact that they uh, <laughs> they never... capable of going perfect in conference play. And I also just to to finish up on Dayton. So they won those three regular season championships last year. They didn't win the A10 tournament. The year prior, they didn't win the A10 tournament. VCU did, and the year before, they did win the A10 tournament. But then COVID canceled the NCAA tournament. So it's been very unlucky for those group of Dayton Flyers who are now long gone. That was a good stump the senior. I'm annoyed that I didn't know last year's, and I will take it. Sam, while you're here, I think you said you had a stump the senior as well? I did. This is to our our coach, Tori Verdi, who celebrated his birthday the other day. Tori Verdi's career as coaching started in 1995. He's had a lot of stops in a lot of different teams. Jacob, how many teams at the collegiate level has Tori Verdi held the title as either an assistant coach in any capacity or a head coach? Coaching at any capacity? Ooh, okay, interesting. Coach or an assistant coach at the collegiate level, specifically yep. the collegiate level. Okay, so that excludes his time at the Connecticut Sun. Um, well, Eastern Michigan, Columbia, where he was assistant and then interim head coach. Um, and then a bunch of other schools I don't know, so I'm just going to take a guess here. I'm going to say <laughs> either six or seven. I'm going with seven collegiate schools. It's answered eight. Oh, the answer is eight. Dang. It's better than if the answer was six after you just backed off of it. True. Eastern Michigan. He was an assistant coach slash recruiting coordinator. Nebraska assistant mm-hmm. coach. Columbia. Western Connecticut, assistant coach for the men's team, Hartford, volunteer assistant, and Keene State. Some of those in the early days, to be honest, I would not have gotten, but I like that question. That's good. Head coaching, he's been at three as head coaches, something like that, I think. Yeah, 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 if you count Columbia interim. Okay. Hmm. Well, cool. Those were two good stumps. The seniors, I didn't get either, but I learned something. So, hey, I'll take it. Going back to Atlantic 10 play, UMass is going to see some of the best teams in the conference and the worst teams. You play every team at least once. You play Rhode Island and Fordham twice this year. Josh, this conference has some teams that aren't quite as good. Where do you think are some games that UMass can really capitalize to use as momentum builders as this season goes along? Yeah, I mean, there are definitely quite a few games, honestly, on the schedule this year that could absolutely be blowouts. Um I, I think that certainly George Mason is a great example of one. Davidson, St. Louis, I think those are the three main ones. But I'm going to go out and say, I think that Duquesne is a little bit of a fraudulent 10-3. <laughs> I, I don't think that they are really as good as their record shows. Their Their schedule has not exactly been overwhelmingly difficult they've had and compared to last season when they were not very good at all this season they they lost to Pitt uh in a game where they only scored 45 points they lost to Tulsa um and they lost to Temple a lot of those games in there for example against Howard we saw Howard actually play live we we never played them but um they were in that Thanksgiving classic down at FIU Howard really does not have a ton of talent, and that game was pretty close the entire time. I think that Duquesne gets embarrassed at Rhode Island. 
on New Year's Eve and then kind of struggles in A-10 play. And I think that that's a, kind of an opportunity for a statement game for UMass to win that game by 15 to 20 points and build that confidence to beat a team um, with a record like that. But I think that will definitely be a big game, especially on the road. Chris, I noticed while Josh was talking, you were ready. Yeah, I just to add on to you were talking with George Mason earlier in that. I thought that's where you were headed. George Mason's finished last in the conference back to back to back seasons. In fact, two years ago, they didn't win a single conference game. But this year, they've revamped a little bit. They're above 500 non conference play. Uh, most of those losses coming against bigger schools like Maryland, Pitt, and LSU. That's still an important game to get, though. You got a team, you don't want to be the reason that team gets confidence. So you have, that's a team, if you jump on them early, I think you win by 25 points, maybe. If you let them hang around, you're in trouble. So that's the one that you have to get the momentum from and have to be on your game in the first quarter. So you can say, okay, look, when we play great, we can blow out a 10 competition. I think George Mason is going to be better than people expect. I have some colleagues at A10 Talk who think extremely highly of George Mason, to be honest, a little higher of the Patriots than I personally do. But I think Vanessa Blair Lewis, the head coach who's in her second year at George Mason, she's finding that foundation that she needs to build the program. And I think that they... I think they could avoid the pillow fight and maybe finish in the top 10 in the conference this year. I don't think they'll be as bad as some of those atrocious seasons the last two years, Chris. And also, George Mason had a impressive, if you can call it impressive, run in the A-10 tournament last year where they got the upset over St. Louis in the pillow fight. They were the first time a 14 seed had ever won in the A-10 women's tournament, or had recently won in the A-10 women's tournament. And then they played Fordham rather close. So I think things are somewhat promising out in Fairfax, Virginia. Josh. Yeah, I I understand the hype around them, but again, they're a team that, you know, they lost to Robert Morris, for example. They lost, um, they, they barely beat Loyola University of Maryland. These are, these are not very impressive wins by any stretch of the imagination. They do have some hard games in there, like with LSU and Maryland, but they got absolutely blown out of the water in those games. That's not like um, they played those great teams tough. Those are teams that, you know, maybe you can expect UMass to play tough. But I think at the end of the day, if UMass plays a B game against George Mason, it's still a 15, 20-point victory. I think it should be. Um, And I think, especially on the road, UMass tends to play better on the road, in my opinion. So I think they'll be fine. With that, George Mason struggles to score, too. I think just 61 points per game or so. So, yeah, I I think the hype surrounding George Mason is a little early. I think maybe next year is when you could see Mason make a push into the top six or seven. I just don't think this season will be the season. Josh, a couple minutes ago, you mentioned Mason. You mentioned one other school who I completely forgot, but you mentioned Dayton or Davidson, excuse me, and I... I think really highly of Davidson, actually. I am, from what I can tell, the only person in A-10 worlds who thinks highly of Davidson this season. But they're very similar to St. Joe's. They're young. They had a excellent tournament run last year where they got a couple wins, or they got a win and lost in overtime to the one-seed Dayton last year in a game that really they should have won. They just missed a shot. Well, anyway, 
but Davidson got to play in the WBI, the Women's Basketball Invitational, where they did really well at the end of last year, last year or two. And I think that their non-conference record isn't indicative of how good they are. They've battled some injuries, some absences, but Ellie Sutphin, in my opinion, is a top 12 player in the conference. She transferred from North Carolina State, NC State, who's one of the best teams in the country, typically year in and year out. Izzy Morgan is very good. Susie Rose Deegan. This Davidson team has a lot of weapons. Chloe Welsh as well. And I think that once they get into conference play and once they start to get on a roll, I think they're going to be very good. Right now, they're being slept on, and they are a team, I think, for sure that could surprise. And yeah, I think they can finish as the sixth best team, seventh best team in the conference. Maybe I'm being optimistic. I'll admit it's a possibility, but I have, I still have high hopes for Davidson, even though their non-conference schedule was just seven and seven. Yeah, I I definitely think that is a totally fair um, evaluation of them. And you say, once they get on a roll, they're now on a three game winning streak after you know, getting getting walloped by NC State, but again, that's NC State. They're one of the best teams in the country, so nothing really to get too down on yourself for. Is they they won their previous two games going into that game, so they've won they five out of their last six. Game. Right, they they've won three in a row at home. Now they're going to travel to Fordham. That is going to be a big game. If they can win that game, you're on a four game winning streak. You have a two more home games against two. Decent teams in LaSalle and Richmond. This is a team that can get hot, and they upset the Minute Women last season. So they are definitely not, you know, they they are definitely capable. I I probably should not have spoken um, negatively on them when naming some of those teams that they should easily beat. But while I do think UMass absolutely could beat them by twenty, this yeah. is a Davidson team that you know they they can have some good games. They can have some games where they hit a bunch of threes and they get hot, but definitely, definitely not a rollover team. And while I'm not going to predict an upset, I am just going to say, don't be surprised if Davidson pulls out a road win against Fordham this weekend. I don't think they'll do it, but don't be surprised if it happens. Sam. Yeah. You guys keep talking a lot about Davidson, Fordham, all the teams. I think a team that is being very slept on and could be a real sleeper team to make some noise in the conference and potentially in the tournament. How about GW? They finished very poorly in conference play, but last year they shot everybody by making it all the way to the quarterfinals and giving VCU, who was number four seed, a run for their money. They led at halftime. They ended up losing, but they retained a good amount of their core. They are the best three-pointing shoot team in the A-10 they come in with an impressive non-conference record. And specifically with UMass, this is a team that beat UMass last year pretty handily. You thought UMass beat them handily. But that being said, this is a team that can give somebody fits if everything is clicking. And I I don't think they should be slept on by any stretch of the imagination. Neolak Nostalgia is one of the best players in the A-10, one of the best pure scorers in the A-10, in my opinion. Mayo Taiwo, among others. This is a very deep team that has played together for a few years. And after having a year where they put themselves on the spotlight in the eighth, and I think they can make some noise and be in sort of that middle of the high middle of the pack of the conference, maybe a top, maybe a five, six seed once tournament time comes around. I think 
Yeah, I think you're kind of right. GW eight and five in non-conference play this year. And they have had a lot of good individual performances that they didn't necessarily have last year. Last year, their team was constantly in flux where they you never knew who their starting five was. You never knew who their play, players and leaders are. And that's in part because last year was the first season for head coach Caroline McCombs, McCombs at GW. But now it's her second year here. She can get a little more accustomed to it. And you mentioned that 8-10 run they had last season was fantastic, where they had the comeback win against St. Bonaventure in the pillow fight game, where they were down by six entering the fourth quarter, then won the game by five, and then they beat LaSalle by 10. LaSalle was the five seed, and then the close loss to VCU, like like you mentioned, Sam. This GW team is one that is certainly on the rise, kind of similar paths to George Mason, but I think GW is better than mason at least this season yeah i think yeah i think they could finish again seven eight in the conference probably now beckett we've we're probably about halfway through the teams or so anyone else that you think either umass should have a fun time playing or could give the minute women a bit of a scare well i mean we honestly could go down pretty much the whole list and choose one of those for either team. Um, I don't know. I, I got this feeling that, I mean, this UMass team should pretty much be able to beat any team on this in the a 10. I feel like we all kind of feel that way. I, I mean, I'm not going to speak yeah. for you guys, of course, but no, I agree. <laughs> um, right. <laughs> but uh, I mean, if, if we're looking at a, 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 a team that's just not doing anything against them i mean i would i would i would immediately think st louis mm. to be honest i mean we play them what once this year i'm pretty sure and yeah we go out to uh Schaefitz arena to play the billikins i mean that's gonna be interesting at least to see them at home for them but i mean i think that could be a really good big win for them and it's like near the end of the season it's second to last game of the season right before the gw game and i don't know I think that could be a very big, big win going into uh, the tournament. SLU last year, they were so interesting. They were picked to finish super high. Then they got decimated by injuries constantly. They never had a healthy team, and it caused them to have a terrible regular season. They had to play in the pillow fight game. They were upset by George Mason in the first round. Then their best player, Kaiser Harbison, transferred for her grad year to Vanderbilt, which, by the way, she is dominating down there so good for kaija but brooke flowers announced that she was staying at slu for this fifth year and she is a menace down low she heading into today's action she was leading the country in blocks per game which is something very impressive to see especially from an a10 player more than four blocks a game she is who makes the st louis team run but the billikens also have a new head coach former head coach lisa stone left at the end of last season. And so there's a new regime there. It's going to take some time for this St. Louis program to get back on their feet. I think there is another team. So St. Louis played in the first and only a 10 conference game so far. They played last night against newcomer Loyola Chicago and Chris, they could be an interesting team kind of because they're just unknown to the conference. It's a great point. Loyola Chicago, successful A-10 opener. They won yep. that game, currently sitting first place, and I assume when you see the bracketology come out, they'll be in that bracket. 
due to them being the presumed auto bid the way most places handle it, <laughs> they're not quite as they don't quite have the history that their men's team does, which is largely what got them their them as a school into the conference. But they've been a program on the rise in the Missouri Valley over the last six or seven years. Found it interesting. They've gotten better year on year after year looking at records. Back in 2016-17, one of the worst teams in the country. They were two and twenty-eight overall and only won one of their 18 conference games. Then it was a slow build, seven and twenty-three with a five and thirteen the year after. 13 and 18, six and twelve in conference, 15, 14, six and twelve in conference. Then took a little step back non-conference with 12 and 15, 8 and 10. Last year, they had their best season in a long time for a program. Winning record going 18 and 12 and a winning record in conference of 10 and 8. Now, it's going to be a little bit of a struggle for them as they step into a more competitive Atlantic 10. But they've been playing some good basketball as of late. The win at St. Louis. And before that, they went down to Central Florida, played a multi-team event and went undefeated, beating Elon and Idaho State. Pretty handily in both of them. They beat Elon 72-46, and then they beat Idaho State by 12. Now, they're only 6-8 and eight in their non-conference schedule, but they played a lot of games away from home in that stretch. They've only been home for five games. So as they get to play more at – more where they're more comfortable playing at home, you're kind of hoping that – they level out. They could be a mid-level A-10 team. I don't think they're anywhere close to the – I think they're much better than the – they were picked by – picked in the media poll to finish 13th in the conference. I think that's completely wrong and no, not representative at all. I'd say they're much closer to about 7th or 8th, somewhere in that range. And, yeah, they're a team that, like you said, the unknown makes it – you don't want to play until later in the season, which UMass lucks out by not drawing them too early. So it could be interesting. Well, so you, sorry, Chris. Yeah, UMass is going to travel actually to Chicago next Saturday. So in about a week and a half, it'll be the third conference game for the Minute Women. How much will they know about Loyola? Yes, they'll be able to scout from this year and past seasons. But first of all, last year they had a different head coach. They had Kate Octor at the helm. And just for the record, I was very confused and surprised that Loyola and like let Octor go, but now they have an excellent new head coach in Allison Guth, but it means Loyola's getting used to her system, her program, how she wants the team to play. So there's nothing like seeing a team in person and UMass hasn't seen Loyola Chicago in person, especially the coach Guth iteration. So that I think favors the Ramblers because all these teams are in the same boat where they haven't seen Loyola Chicago before. Yeah, that's definitely it, – it is earlier than I thought initially. It's the third conference game. But, yeah, that's definitely – you kind of want to get a feel for them early. And it does make more sense to – it does help a little bit. You're playing them in non in conference play opposed to if you had a draw where you don't play them at all, all and then have to run into them in the tournament. So you'll fill them out here and hopefully take care of business there so you're comfortable if you do have to play them in Delaware in the A-10 tournament. Yeah, for me, honestly, I'm not personally worried about will UMass have, you know, how will they be able to scout Loyola Chicago having just this year's film, watching this year's games. Sure, that uh, Loyola Chicago 
has a completely different team this year. They have a different coach. Um, they're new to the A-10. But if I know Coach Verdi and this UMass coaching staff, they almost never, with the exception of, I'd say, just Columbia this year, they have almost never been out prepared for a game. And they are so good at going through film, knowing exactly what their game plan is for each team and sticking with it, that I really don't think they're going to have that much of a problem against Loyola Chicago. Um, I'm, I'm not saying that Loyola Chicago doesn't have a chance to win that game. I'm just saying that if Loyola Chicago does win that game, I don't think it will because be because Coach Verde and this coaching staff is caught off guard by anything. But I, I do think that this coaching staff, they have plenty of film for this season. They're coming in. Loyola Chicago will be coming into the game um, after playing two A-10 games against St. Louis um, and then Richmond on next Wednesday. So I think that's plenty of film to really get a, an idea of any new plays that they might have um, drawn up over the holiday break. Um, so I'm really not worried about that. You're right that UMass's coaches are excellent at what they do. They scout so far ahead of time. I know for a fact that their coaches have already started scouting and preparing the game plan for Loyola Chicago. So I think you're right there. But also there's nothing like seeing a team in a person where you realize, oh, these players are bigger than we think. Or ah, they know, like they've realized they can do this against our defense or whatever. So it'll be interesting to see. Yeah. And just real quick, you mentioned that's an outstanding point, Jacob. It does. We talked about it already a little bit on this on this show and in past shows, but it's those random players, it feels like, for other teams that kind of just killed them. We saw it sp especially in Miami with players like Megan Meyer for Drake, who was not on anyone's radar. It was kind of just like, we got to stop the interior players. We got to stop Katie Dinabier, who's an outstanding point guard, but then all of a sudden Megan Meyer dropped 30 plus points against you shooting the three Seriana Rodriguez, the next game against FIU. It's those random players that you're right. Kind of just don't, they kind of fly under the radar in the scouting report because when you're focused on the star players and so focused on beating them, all of a sudden you're going to leave this shooter wide open for three who, you know, you, you weren't so ready for them. So that's an absolutely a great point, Jacob, that being so prepared for these great players can kind of have a little bit of a negative impact on you sometimes when that that fourth option, that fifth option comes in and has a good game. Yeah, I think you're right. UMass hasn't necessarily been able to shut down those secondary players, the players, maybe X-Factors, ones that you don't expect to go off but do. So... We'll see. Loyola Chicago tends to be a team. They've got a lot of different options, a lot of different players that can pick it up. So we'll see in a week and a half how the Ramblers look in person because they've had an okay non-conference schedule, but they got off to a good start in a 10 play last night against St. Louis. This episode of the UMass Women's Basketball Show is brought to you by our friends at the Quarters located just off Route 9 on the bike trail in Hadley. The Quarters offers 25 vintage arcade games from the 80s and 90s, as well as a full food menu, draft beers, and cocktails. The Quarters has a 
also offers weekly events, including Monday, Trivia Thursday, Karaoke, and Weekend Morning Unlimited Cereal, Buffet, and Cartoons. The Quarters also offers private events and is online at HadleyQuarters.com and on Instagram and Facebook. This is episode 13 of the UMass Women's Basketball Show on here, here on WMUA. And we are touching on all the teams in the Atlantic 10 today. I believe the only ones we have left are VCU, Richmond, and LaSalle. Mr. Beckett's story, any one of those three teams you would like to take a focus on? Oh, sure. I was looking at LaSalle a little bit. Um, You know, they've played pretty well as overall. I mean, they're eight and six going into... A ten play, um, three and one at home, but only four and five on the road, which is, you know, not ideal for them. I'm sure they're going to be playing plenty of road games during conference play. Um, they actually played a very similar, um, ro- uh, not roster schedule to Saint Joseph's, which I find mm-hmm. very interesting. They played both Villanova and Temple, which both of them played. Um. Of course, St. Joe's beat Temple but lost to Villanova, uh, and LaSalle lost to both of them. So that's pretty interesting to see. Both, I mean, obviously, Villanova's a powerhouse, but to see that they both got pretty much dismantled by this team is interesting. Of course, what I find, what I what I think will be a good test for for LaSalle is to see what they do opening. Actually, what that two days from now? Yep. Uh, so New Year's Eve, they they start a ten play against St. Joseph's, and I think that not only will be a good testament and marker to see where LaSalle is, but to also see where St. Joseph's is. because I mean, e- to be honest, either of those teams could win. I'm I'm sure St. Joseph's is the favorite in that game, but no, I mean, I think that they, you know, they have some good scorers. Obviously, Kayla Spruel. Claire Jacobs averaging, uh, what, 25 points together. I mean, they're a solid team, but I just don't know if they'll score enough points against a UMass team. LaSalle's such an interesting, kind of bit of a confusing team, whereas they were picked to finish second in the preseason poll this year. Last year, they were fifth in the conference, just missed out on getting that that uh, bye, but I don't understand the LaSalle Explorers hype to be honest I don't I don't get it they were they're eight and six in non-conference play they lost to Howard by five to start the season and Josh like you already mentioned you and I watched Howard play twice and they are not a very good team and yet LaSalle lost to them I don't understand the hype that there is for the Explorers while I am very high on Davidson higher than everyone else I'm also lower on LaSalle than most everyone else in the media and among coaches, et cetera. LaSalle could prove me wrong. And maybe we'll go down to Tom Gola Arena next month and they will make me look like a fool. That's possible because they shoot the three a ton. They love shooting the three. The Jacob sisters can splash triples from all over the place. Kayla Sproul is underrated, in my opinion. Also, UMass didn't see LaSalle last year. COVID canceled that game. So it's been a while since the Minute Women have seen the Explorers, and head coach Mountain McGilvery has done a very good job with LaSalle building them up to be an upper echelon program, but in a way kind of similar to Fordham. They're on the verge of very good, but they haven't reached great. I think Fordham's as a program overall is better than LaSalle, but I just don't think 
LaSalle is that good. Maybe they'll prove me wrong. And they do some things very well. But I see them more as a 6-7 team, to be honest. Jacob, I'm sorry, but real quick. Did you just say that the head coach of the Explorers' first name is Mountain? Yes, his first name (laughs) is Mountain. He's a great guy. That's unreal. (laughs) Yeah, he's great. I haven't gotten to meet him or anything because, like I said, we didn't play or UMass didn't play LaSalle last year. But yeah, he was disappointing because they got upset in the first round of the A10 tournament last year by George Washington, as we talked about it. So they're looking for revenge. So that leaves us with two teams left. They're both from the same city. Both teams will be coming to Amherst at some point this year. VCU and Richmond. And Josh, we'll start with VCU. Yeah, Jacob. Well, VCU has had an interesting history. They, they've they gone – they've been a little bit off to a slow start, I'd say, this season. But it was just two years ago that they were uh, in the finals of the A-10 championship – and they took and they won it. So this is a team against that UMass. Uh, against UMass, of course. <laughs> but this is a team that, you know, they're struggling this season. But I I don't think that they're just a rollover game necessarily. They have Sarah Tabasau, who I I could have mispronounced that name brutally, but averaging about fourteen points per game, shooting about eighty percent from the line. So um, she she shoots the three ball quite a lot. Sixty attempts from three this season, just 32%. But, you know, with a player like her at five foot five, she plays with such a motor that kind of reminds you of a Bernaya Mayo, of a Destiny Philoxy. She leads the team 100%. in assists. She leads the team in steals. She just she plays with so much heart that it's it's so fun to watch. And at times, she can kind of carry a team, not, on, not necessarily on the court, which she can on the court, but especially just in terms of her energy, in terms of her want to, um, that can kind of put a team on upset watch. So I'm interested in VCU. They've had an interesting season. They, um, I think the most notable games in their schedule were in the Paradise Jam, which I believe was in Miami because we saw them in the airport after our Thanksgiving Classic games, um, after they just took down Wisconsin, who is having a rough season but still a Big Ten opponent. Um, they also beat Seton Hall. They beat, uh, they lost to Georgia, an SEC opponent, but that game was pretty close throughout the game. So, this is a team that can play with some of these bigger names, and I know that these these names have not had great years, but I don't know. I I, I think that their most recent loss against Howard, which we talked about Howard, and we've kind of been a little bit not so nice to them in this show, just decrediting them but um how that Howard game where they lost that was their first game in 16 days so we know that especially in basketball it's a game of runs if you don't play in 16 games I don't care how many times you've practiced it's really hard to really find a consistent rhythm stay connected so I know they lost to Howard but I I really don't think that game is shows truly what they're capable of. I think that we'll see more against St. Louis and Fordham in their upcoming schedule. So we'll have a better idea of what they are truly capable of, but I would definitely have my eye on them a little bit. 
I actually think, Josh, that you are spot on. Yes, their non-conference record was bad, VCU's. Three and nine. That's not what you want. One and four at home? No, no, that's not nearly good enough, which they know. But I I think VCU is going to be much better than that. They were picked to finish fifth in the preseason poll. Sarah Tibiasu is sensational. I love watching her play. She's one of the, my favorite players to watch in the whole conference. Because like you said, she's like another Philoxy, another Mayo because she does everything defensively, offensively. She is just sensational. And VCU didn't even lose that many players from last year's team. VCU was the four seed. They finished fourth in the regular season. They lost Taya Robinson. That's a big loss. No question about it. And they also lost Madison Haddix-Covington, who transferred to Rhode Island. But they still have Tibiasu. They still have Janika Griffith-Wallace. They still have Chloe Bloom and Samantha Robinson and Kiowa Walters and Grace Hudson. Most of the team from last year is still good. I don't think last year was a fluke. I think this non-conference play has been a fluke. And head coach Beth O'Boyle is fantastic. I am a huge Coach O'Boyle fan. I think she does a fantastic job down there. Before last year's semifinals loss in the A-10 tournament, BCU had made three A-10 championship games in a row. She knows how to build sustained success. I think VCU has the talent and should finish around fifth, sixth in the conference for the regular season. So that being said, let's talk about their crosstown neighbors, the good old Spiders from Richmond. Yeah, Richmond is potentially one of the most exciting teams to watch in the conference. High scoring average from just under 70 points a game. And they love to shoot the three ball and they do it very well. They've got three, four players shooting over 40% from three, all of them in double uh, digits or attempts. Uh, Siobhan Ryan is 36 for 83 from three. So large sample size, loves to shoot it from there. And definitely one of the top scoring options for them and can hurt you and any game has the potential to go off. They're also a very streaky team. Uh, this is a team that feels like they're going to play UMass and UMass is either going to win that game by 40 or they're going to lose that game. Yep. The three losses for Richmond lost 61 to 40 at Clemson. They lost a close, close one against Northern Illinois, 67, 64 in the Navy classic. And then they got blown out by Duke 100 to 49. The interesting thing from that, they bounced back in their very next game and blew out Longwood 119 to 55. So they have a lot of games, if you look at their schedule, where it's like that. They'll have a bad game and come back and win by 60 the, night, the next night. That's a little bit of an exaggeration. That game shows what they're capable of offensively. Uh, also coming in – very hot into conference play, winning four straight. Longwood, Elon, Ball State, and Tarleton State, the latter two of those in the Puerto Rico Classic. So they're definitely a team that could outperform where they were picked to finish as a mid-level team in the conference, picked eighth. eighth. They could be dangerous challenge for uh, be around number six in the conference and maybe potentially sneak into that four spot in the double bye. To be honest, yeah, the Spiders are one of those teams because of their streakiness, Chris. They could be fifth. They could be tenth. Like, I feel like I don't really know where they're going to end up. Addie Budnick is a very good player for Richmond. She, Grace Townsend, you already talked about Ryan. They have good players. And if you th- remember last year's game when UMass played Richmond, that game went to overtime. Bernaya Mayo hit a buzzer beater 
incredibly impressive bank shot layup that probably doesn't go most of the time, but she made it fall and got UMass the buzzer beater overtime win. But Richmond can be tricky, no doubt. You talked about the variance of where they could finish the regular season. I'm even more worried if UMass ends up facing them in the tournament. Mm. Just game to game, there's such a wide span. If they're shooting the three, UMass could play their A game and still lose that because Richmond might go off and put up 85 on them, which when you're the presumed best team in the conference, you don't want those high variability teams you're playing that might be able to compete with you. You'd much rather a team that even if they're equal talently, always play at that level and you should be able to beat. Yeah, I think you're right. Last year, Richmond, I believe, I can't remember what they did in the tournament, to be honest. They didn't last too long, but they were right around the 8-9 mark or so. They were out pretty quickly, as was Duquesne. And Josh, you talked about the Dukes, right? Excellent. I wanted to yes, make I sure did. wanted to make sure we didn't forget anyone, because Duquesne will be an yeah. interesting team to watch as well. Duquesne and Richmond remind me, they're very similar teams, I think, in that they shoot a lot of threes. They can go off crazily, but I don't think they will. I also think Richmond has a bit more upside. So there you go, guys. We have talked about all 15 Atlantic 10 teams. So we usually do predictions. So we're going to do predictions, but not for every game because, good Lord, (laughs) we don't have five hours. But UMass plays 16 conference games. They play every team once except for Fordham, who they play twice, Rhode Island, who they play twice. What do you think their conference records will be at the end of the day? I will give you a moment to think, and I will say that UMass should be the favorite in the conference, no doubt about it. I think Rhode Island has solidly put themselves at number two. I think St. Joe's may prove to be not quite as good as they are right now. Um, I think Fordham will sneak into the top four. So I think it'll be UMass, Rhode Island, Fordham. I'm going to say St. Joe's holds on to get the double buy, but we'll see. You guys don't have to make those predictions. This is just me stalling for you guys to get your prediction, your record predictions in line for UMass and Atlantic 10 play. What do we think? We think we're good. Yep. All right, Josh, I, I see you none. You're going first. All right. So, for me, I think that they they go thirteen and three in conference play. I think that they lose same one as last year. Yeah, same as last year. I think they lose one to Rhode Island. I think they lose one to either Fordham or St. Joe's, and then I think they lose a game that they really shouldn't to, let's say, a team like George Washington at the end of conference play when it you know that's their final game of the se- of the regular season they kind of just get caught sleeping in that final game at home. And to be honest, Josh, that's exactly what happened last year. UMass lost. Wait, UMass lost four conference games last year. I was wrong. My bad. They lost two to Rhode Island. They lost once to Dayton and they lost wrong, lost once to Davidson. But yeah, basically last year, UMass lost to Rhodey. They lost to a pretty darn good team in Dayton. And then they had a loss. They should not have had to Davidson. So it sounds like that's the same formula you are picking for them this year. So Josh says 13 and three Beckett. Um, I'm definitely 13 and three. Like if I were to make a real prediction, trying to be, you know, smart and whatever, but since, you know, this is a show and we try to make it interesting, I feel like I can't do the exact same thing. I'm going to say 
they could very well they could do 14 and 2. I mean, they could honestly do 15 and 1, but I'm not I'm not going there. I think they will lose at Rhode Island. I think they may lose against um St. Joseph's as well. But if not St. Joseph's, I could see Davidson or Richmond playing a good game against them. But yeah, I I could see 14 and 2. Why not? So we've got a 13 and three from Josh, a 14 and two from Beckett. I also want to apologize. Last year, their conference record was 11 and four. So I was way off there. So my <laughs> bad. But uh, Chris. Yeah. So 13 and three is about where I see him. I'm going to go 12 and four. We pass missed up the group. I think we panic, or I think we're going to be on the show in about two weeks, panicking a little bit. I think they drop the home game against URI. They don't, they beat St. Bonaventure in the open, but don't play well. So that's why I'm saying we're going to panic after those two games. I think they get upset by Dayton, who I mentioned. I think they're better than their record shows. I think they lose big at home to Richmond. Ooh. And then they drop another game somewhere. I don't know where it is. I Maybe it's uh, LaSalle, someone like that. And they lose back-to-back. I don't know who that fourth one ends up being. But I don't think it's as clean of a, a conference slate as some people think it'll be. And there's got to be some stumbling blocks and maybe they don't even win the regular season title for the conference at 12 and four it honestly could be difficult to win the regular season title like you said chris so you all are separated by about a game i'm going optimistic i'm I'm saying umass finishes the regular season as regular season champions at 16 and oh and here's why because yeah i saw that look josh i knew that was coming jacob i knew it (laughs) well so here number one I think Dolly Karen's not playing next week. I'm sorry. If she doesn't play next week for Rhode Island, I think that greatly gives UMass a big advantage because Karen's lit it up last year against the Minute Women. So if Karen's doesn't play, UMass gets the gritty, not pretty win against Rhode Island next week. By doing that, they feel that they can beat Rhode Island. So they'll go down to the Ryan Center later this year and beat Rhodey again. And then no one else in the conference scares me there's definitely potentials for upsets no doubt about it but i think umass can take care of all those teams they get to host st joe's that's an advantage they don't have to go down to hawk hill they fordham i think they'll be fine i think they'll be fine against fordham last year the only reason the first game was close was because Jeremiah went off for like a record-setting night and she's not there anymore so i say minute women go 16 and 0 in atlantic 10 play I had a feeling you were going to be either something 15-1, 16-0, or you're going to be very pessimistic and say like 10-6 and six or something. I didn't see you being around everybody else. No, I like I like to go different. And also, I do – I can convince myself of anything, I feel like, but I do <laughs> I do believe that UMass can go 16-0. and 0. So, there we go. We have discussed all the teams in the Atlantic 10. I think that'll just about wrap it up for Episode 13 of the UMass Women's Basketball Show. This was a fun episode. We'll be back to recap the first A-10 game against St. Bonaventure sometime next week. Josh and I will be on the call for that game. It's a 2 p.m. start on New Year's Eve, December 31st. Head out to the Mullen Center. It'll be an exciting A-10 opener. Yeah, one last point. Uh, The updated bracketology is out. UMass falling out of the auto bid due to not playing in the opener. They are one of the next four teams out, according to bracketology. So right on the bubble, right behind... Uh, Tennessee, who they played earlier in the season. 
If Tennessee can keep winning, that'd be very good for Massachusetts. Yes. Also, just for the record, if UMass goes 12 and four, like you said, Chris, or 13 and three, like Josh says, they don't they make the not. NCAA as an at large. 16 and 0, they can probably be feeling pretty good about themselves. Yes, I agree. I even think if they go 14 and two in conference play and the losses are to tough teams, they can still get in as an at large. I think 14 and two, you need them to go to at least reach the final. semifinal, probably the final. Yeah. So. That will wrap it up. It's We're halfway through. It's been a fun first 13 games for the Minute Women, 16 more to go for UMass as they try to become regular season champions. It all starts Saturday against the St. Bonaventure Bonnies. For Chris Vogel, Josh Schreiber, Beckett Story, and Sam Kinches, I am Jacob Munch. Thanks for tuning in to episode 13 of the UMass Women's Basketball Show.